0: Oh, it's that guy, <laughs> but I loved him. I don't know, I don't know how to account for it, you guys. It just did not work for me it Interesting. Felt <laughs>
1: prostitutes
0: mm-hmm. or voyeurism that will go down in the annals of horror history.
2: I, I agree. The
1: keep down. The
2: That is a tradition. That's a tradition unlike any other. <laughs> we crushed it. We I think so. You're the best so far because we looked at the calendar, what, about uh, a day ago and went, it's time for the half year countdown of our favorite horror movies. So, welcome. This is the Fright Club podcast, and she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And we are from madwolf.com, M A D D W O L F. And we have a special guest today. Uh, same guy that's joined us the last two or three times we've done this. So, uh, it's always good. To get a perspective from a filmmaker, and he's our senior filmmaker correspondent, so we'll get to him in a minute. (laughs) But we want to say thank you to uh, everybody that came out for our last Fright Club Live. It was the Snowtown Murders. That's a good one.
1: It is a good one, and I was a little worried about it because it's uh, based on a true story, which is why we did Realism in Horror. That was our podcast. And there were um, some folks who I think, I don't know that enjoyed is the word for Mm -hmm. how they... They felt about the film. And I think our friend Bridget, who runs Columbus uh, on Facebook, I I think she still hasn't forgiven us.
2: Well, no one chastised us on the way out, which has happened before. So that's, you know, that's the bar that we have. (laughs) (laughs) And no one has done that. But uh, I think people did. I think people appreciated it. So that was fun. And we're looking forward to the next Fright Club Live, uh, the July edition. Be right back at Gateway Film Center, and what are we seeing? I forget already. July
1: eleventh, Wednesday, July eleventh. We're going to show *Peeping Tom*, so it's oh, our that's first right. ever like classic. Oh, I think the oldest we've ever gone. We did the one that you don't like. What's the uh, *Reflecting Skin*, which mm-hmm. is from like the mid nineties, but we've not gone back to yeah. the sixties. so before, it's about time so. we did that. And that's the thing, right? So we haven't decided. Is our podcast going to be about prostitutes, mm-hmm. or? <laughs> Voyeurism. Okay. So right now the vote is is leaning heavily prostitutes and Dark Dave, our friend Phantom, Dark Dave. He he chimed in right away. He wants to see prostitutes. Not <laughs> he wants to see prostitutes. I don't mean that. Uh, he wants the topic to be prostitutes, as did the majority of the people okay. in the theater that night. Is that still
2: up for a vote or is that done? Is I it, think
1: we're gonna we're gonna do a poll. I think okay. we'll do a poll on Twitter to see um, if if because are some great movies about voyeurs Why and some we... that we've not ever covered.
2: So that is good. That is all good stuff, and we have good stuff this week because it is year is half over, uh, so it's uh, time to count down our favorites of the horror genre so far that we've seen. And we've got our special guest. Like I said, I think he's joined us for this countdown the last two or three times. So it's a tradition, just like that song we just heard and chimed in on. We welcome our senior filmmaking correspondent, Jason Tostevin.
0: Welcome back. I am so happy to be back, you guys. Always a pleasure to see you both. And I have to say, the Fright Club lineup over the, over the last eight months or so, has been capital. Yeah. Well, I'd like to take all the credit <laughs> yes, for that,
1: uh, but I can't. Nope, he can't. <laughs> um,
2: <laughs> thank you, though. Thank you.
1: Yes, no, I thank
0: appreciate you. it. It's like deep cuts, but really top quality.
1: Thank so you. So well done. Yeah, thank good you. stuff.
2: And also, we should say, uh, Jason is the mad genius behind Nightmares Film Festival, which right. we will talk about. For sure, because that is coming up here. Speaking of time getting away from you. I watched one of the
1: entries today, on the way into it, before I came up, yes. Yeah,
2: it's going to be fantastic, and we'll talk about that. But uh, we each have a list of five, and this is going to be good, because there's some difference here. There's especially one or two movies that have been getting a lot of uh, talk, a lot of publicity, a lot of box office, at least for one of them, uh, so far this year that we'll talk about. I think we have some differing opinions You can probably guess, but let's jump right in and start with, what is our number five we're going to start with? Yeah. Okay, and this one is good because this one is a Netflix movie, and it's a group of college friends reuniting for a trip to the forest, encountering a menacing presence in the woods that's stalking them. You know how Hope loves the woods? And it's the ritual. It's been gutted. Could be hunters out here. Bait? Possibly. Or it's the bit they don't show you in the nature documentary. It's a warning. We shouldn't be here.
1: Where the hell are we, Huts? We should pitch the tents. This is ridiculous, man. Luke, you're getting soaked. Did you hear that? No, I didn't hear anything. Come on.
2: What the fuck is that?
1: Fucking hell, We don't know where we are!
2: So, this one, yeah, a Netflix movie and. The biggest thought about this movie that that comes to mind for me, it's like all the people that were mad about It Comes at Night, that nothing came at night. Here you go, because (laughs) something comes at night.
1: Yeah, no, it's really true. uh, It's a a fascinating movie, because I feel like these types of films so often get derailed. You just feel like you've seen it a hundred times. Oh, a group of guys, and they go in the woods, and they're going to come across these whatever the clue is that something's wrong. But between the, the performances, the backstory that's tragic but not sort of played for sentiment, and then the weird left turns it takes. I mean, it, it works incredibly well. Yeah,
2: and this is our number five, but Jason, it's actually your number two. for So, so you loved it, obviously.
0: I did, I loved it. So I think for me, this is um, a representative, emblematic of where we are in the horror genre um, renaissance, mm-hmm. which really started probably two or three years ago. And what I think has happened is those movies and their uh, both their critical claim and their box office Mm -hmm. let uh, expanded boundaries sort of opened up new spaces for filmmakers to play in.
1: You like the A24 style films.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think um, what we're seeing is a crop, I would tell, I would say, I would characterize this as not a super strong crop in the first half of the year, but what I'm really thrilled about is seeing people play in those spaces. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm just not sure that anybody nailed it to an A plus yet, mm-hmm. but we're seeing really interesting filmmaking and these left turns are part of the, uh, I think part of the experience right now, these genre mashups, narrative mashups. Absolutely. I also think that's part of the reason why we're seeing this. This, um, huge gap between the critics response and the audience responses. yes that's a good
2: point yeah because that is definitely happening and that's happening with at least one of the other movies we're going to talk about uh, on this list, so that because we have seen that with a few different movies here. I mentioned it comes at night. Yeah. That that had a polarization. I, I think about it. I
1: think it comes at night might have been that, and maybe the witch. Those are the two mm-hmm. I think that are the biggest standouts. It that follows critics, a little bit, a mm-hmm. little bit. Yeah, a little bit. But I mean, it follows delivered horror. It was a horror film, mm-hmm. and uh, and I think people didn't think the witch was. The Witch was polarizing for different reasons, but but It Comes at Night, it was simply that people thought they were seeing a horror movie, and they really weren't to a, a great degree. I mean, in the last scene, when you realize what's settling in on this man that he has just done and that what has just happened is, is horrific, certainly,
2: mm-hmm. but
1: it's not what anybody expected, although critics loved it because it was brilliant.
2: and I think a lot of people felt tricked by the marketing yeah. for It Comes at Night, I, I think because of some of the ads, and, and let's face it, the marketing is meant to get butts in seats, right? So I think a lot of people thought
1: there's going to be something in the woods. That's one of the great things about these movies that, you know, that are really just cropping up on Netflix and some other is that there isn't any marketing for it. You know, you're just going in blind and then you come out with uh, a lot of it is junk, but you come out with a gem like The Ritual, you know, and it just it it does really restore your faith in new filmmaking.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because the thing about Netflix is I'm not sure I associate it with high quality films, Mm -hmm. right? It's, that's not my immediate association. Right, right, so right. I'm less likely to go, oh, the ritual, that's probably top quality, as compared to seeing something put out by A24. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Right? So if Absolutely. A24 acquired it, I assume yeah. it's really. So I tend Although to. Although be... Netflix did do Mudbound. So, they, I mean, they're getting there. They're having some oh, good... Oh, they did Beast
1: of No Nation. Oh, that's right. Yeah.
0: yeah. That's right. My point is, I am more likely to be surprised by a great movie yes. on Netflix yeah. than yeah. I am that's A24. A tw- yeah. I probably hold A24 to a higher. Yeah. Up. I think
1: we'd be surprised by a bad movie that A24 would <laughs> yeah. yeah,
0: absolutely. That's
2: true. That is true.
0: You guys, quickly on the ritual. Yeah. So, this is David Bruckner. Mm-hmm. David Bruckner um, did uh, the segment we all loved, Amateur Night and in VHS. Yes. Yeah. And, which became The Siren, a feature that zero people saw. He also did The Signal back yes. in I think, yes. 2007, which we, is a great movie. We've
1: talked about The Signal several mm-hmm. times. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: And I found this structurally similar to Hereditary. In that there is a major turn Mm -hmm. that is, I think, not telegraphed and the movie still works. Mm -hmm. The other thing I'd just say quickly about this is I had a really profound experience with it because I do think it's written from a very gender specific point of view. So the the opening, the sort of um, inciting incident for the two guys, I think is more dependent on ideas of masculinity. You know, this guy's sort of impotent, he's cowardly, he can't do the right thing in the moment, Mm -hmm. and that sort of propelled the movie. I found that very intriguing. I know other people that didn't, but that was a really interesting part
2: for me. No, that is, and I I think it also works on, on kind of subtext of you know they're they're taking a path, the paths you take in life, kind of um, mm. uh, rituals in yeah. life that you have to submit to uh, for the path you choose. Those kind of uh, greater themes I think are, are at work here as well. At least for me, which you know, I appreciate. What
1: I think what I think's funny about that idea though is that the film it reminded me the most of is The Descent, which of course is a almost sure. entirely female cast. Yeah, that's right. Um, I mean it's it's wildly different from that as well. But 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 there is so much that it has in common, and I love The Descent. Mm-hmm. And the, and it's funny because I. I kept thinking that, that I would hold that against the ritual. You know, when you compare it, you can't help but compare it to something that you love so much. But I, I, I really enjoyed it. And um, what is it? Rafe Spall?
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Who we Who just, we just saw, saw in Jurassic World. Jurassic World
1: yeah. And then in Life of Pi. He's in Life of Pi. As a general rule, starting with Life of Pi, which is not his own fault. it was I hate what happens in that scene. And he just he just personifies what I hate about that movie. The so Life now, of pie, you mean? The Life of pie. Yeah. So now whenever I see that s- bad smile of his, I think, oh, it's that guy. <laughs> but I loved him in, yeah. in The Ritual. I thought yeah. he did a great job of being kind of a douche, kind of a good guy, kind of you know. I mean, he was he was really a perfect candidate, and and I thought all the performances were really good.
2: Yeah, I agree. That, and that is uh, that's our number five, and Jason's number two for half the year in horror twenty eighteen. The Ritual. Uh, and I should say, I, did, I didn't yet, I should say there's going to be some spoilers in these conversations, right? I mean, mm-hmm. we, we didn't really give a whole lot away in talking about that one, but I think we probably will moving forward. So just be warned, there's going to be some spoilers <laughs> here. But you've, hopefully you've seen all of these that we're going to talk about. Or
1: They're or, brand spanking, they might not have.
2: Well... We're going to move on anyway. (laughs) (laughs) And that moves us up to uh, number four on our list uh, for the year. And this one actually is on Jason's list as well. It's his number five. So another one that we agree on. And it's a young woman in being involuntarily committed to a mental institution where she's confronted by her greatest fear. But is it real or a product of her delusion? Unsane.
1: Rationally, I know this is my imagination, but I'm alone in a strange city and I never feel safe some more forms you need to fill out it's just routine Sawyer valentini please follow me well look i I don't have a lot of time I, i should be back at work so what am i doing in here take off your clothes down to your underwear i'm not sure what's happening here the door's locked it would be better for everyone especially yourself if you just do as i ask there's been some kind of mistake by signing this you've consented to voluntary commitment i am being held here against my will my stalker is here. We did a thorough
2: background check.
1: You should be protecting me. Mom, no one believes me. I'm getting you
0: out. There's nothing we can do unless you have proof that a crime's been committed. You need to get out of <laughs>
1: This is George's greatest fear. George surprised me <laughs> when it me was right out. when it was time to screen this movie. He opted out. He was <laughs> like, "I'm not going." It's
2: one of those that just gets me, you know. Yeah. One of those things about it's against your will and nobody believes you because they think you're crazy. I'm like, ah, <laughs> 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 just reaches something. Yeah, reaches something down in there. But it's it's Steven Soderbergh and who just seems in, in this movie to be going just for straight genre thrills.
1: I think um, it's a more mainstream film than most sort of lunatics running the asylum or... I mean, I've probably seen a hundred movies where somebody is trapped against their will inside an asylum. Not that many other people probably have seen a hundred, so it probably (laughs) seems fresher (laughs) to a lot of folks. But um, for me, I thought that it was, was... I was impressed because they managed to still, even to me, seem very fresh what they were doing. I think, you know, he shot it, you know, on whatever, iPhones. And for a lot of... In a lot of instances, I think that might seem gimmicky for somebody who has the wherewithal to do anything he wants to, and he chooses. But it actually it gives it such a um, a horrific, nightmarish look that it really suited the project. I mean, I'm not going to suggest that Soderbergh should call me up before he makes decisions about what cameras he's using. but It's not a bad idea.
2: <laughs> but I think that's a good question to ask Jason, because yeah. as a filmmaker, your perspective on these projects that film with iPhones. Yeah, I, I do
0: think it's a gimmick. I mean, I, th- I think we need to start there. It was a gimmick. Uh, I don't know if you guys saw, Brian De Palma just called Soderbergh out last week no. about oh. not being a visual um, director. Mm, and I no, thought that was n- interesting. And he's not. No, he's not. What's wild is he shoots all of his own stuff, mm-hmm. the, he, he is the camera op mm-hmm. on his stuff. I have deep respect for him. It was a gimmick. He shot on a 7 Plus, iPhone 7 Plus, and it did give this sort of um, documentary. Verisimilitude mm-hmm. Is that the word I'm looking for It was like Sort of had this weird Eerie feeling of realness mm-hmm. And I only thought It didn't work A couple of times as a very specific scene Where a couple of the orderlies Who we haven't seen Talk before Are opening up a locker Of a guy who's Who's been killed mm-hmm. And it looked like clerks all, I could, all <laughs> yeah, yeah. I could think about was it was clerks, and the, I think the the score didn't help it in that regard. But it was very scary, George. I'm I'm with you. <laughs>
2: that shit is terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> and here's one thing that that gets me. It's just a little nitpicky for me when you say you filmed it on an iPhone. Yes, but not the sound. There's no way. I mean, you have to have a lot of help with sound. You can't just hold up an iPhone, right? Oh because no, no. I just think when you say that, like, okay, you filmed it, but you didn't really. I mean, you have to have a lot of help on sound if you're if you're filming on an iPhone.
0: George, you're right, and it's not just sound. When somebody said, what they essentially mean is, somewhere deep in the bowels of this giant build, was an iPhone Seven Plus sensor. So it's not like they were just walking around holding With their the phone, phone right. right? I mean, yeah. I, there's a whole kit around it, lenses, you know, matte boxes. There's all kinds of stuff around it. Not to take away from it, mm-hmm. but the, it, it it isn't. I do think it gives people the impression that he just pulled out of his pocket. Yes, I think it does. See, that's what I mean. Yeah. Yeah,
2: exactly. So, unsane, pretty effective all the way around.
0: Oh, great villain.
2: I gotta say, yes. great villain, and yes. do you guys know who that was?
0: Josh! Yes. 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 Josh from the Blair Witch Josh Project. Josh from the Blair Witch Project. He was great.
1: He was perfect. He, he was, was. And of course, Claire Foy, who is now just taking the world by storm, and, and uh, and, but she was really good, and I love this character because she's hard to like. Yeah. I, I mean, which is it's always such a nice change of pace with a uh, female lead of a film, if they're still supposed to be your vehicle through the movie, and you, you're really not asked to like them. Mm-hmm. Like, I really appreciate that, and I think she did a great job, but yeah, he was a great villain.
2: Unsane, number four on our list, and uh, number five for Jason. And number five on Jason's list. So let's move up to a number four for Jason this year. This is not one that this is one that didn't make our list, but almost did. So what do you have at number four, Jason?
0: At number four, I have Mom and Dad.
2: Yeah.
1: Multiple reports are now coming in of parents murdering their own children. Listen to me. We have to get out of the house before Mom and Dad come home.
0: Dad? Oh, yeah! right foot in you take your right foot out you do the hook, you, in, you f-
2: nicholas cage the unhinged nicholas cage that's
1: not your favorite nicholas cage i think it's all of the rest of our favorite is, is i unhinged. just
2: I'm, I'm just not as all in on everything unhinged nicholas cage does as a gem i'm yeah. just not I'm, sometimes i'm like is this just a, a shtick character, it doesn't always work for me. It can be fun, yeah, but maybe not every time. You
1: know one of the things I liked about it in this movie is, and I think it's a, probably an underappreciated performance, is the way it's balanced by Samuel Blair. Yeah. And they play, you know, parents on this and it's also a brilliant conceit. Just for no real reason they explain, they throw out some maybe theories about why it's happening, but for 24 hours, every parent wants to kill all their children. And nobody else. <laughs> They're very polite to everybody else's children. They're polite yeah. to their own parents. Not thinking, not <laughs> Not thinking <laughs> um and um and, and it's 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 wild and and fascinating and she and they're a team and that's what's great about it is that he's nuts he's gone completely insane and he's just b- breaking shit in the garage and she's just like we've got to focus we have kids to kill today and, uh, and i love
0: that we have a to-do list <laughs> I, I have to tell you guys i found this actually very moving I think it's very grounded. There's a monologue that he delivers in the basement. Oh, sure. Yep. Over a pool table he's just had put down there about what it means to become a father and to stop being the person that you were before. And the structure of the screenplay I thought was excellent. It's got a great turn and reveal at the end yep. that it seems totally obvious, but you're not really thinking about it. And then it really... Uh, spikes the tension it's hilarious by the way this is a horror comedy mm-hmm. and it is super funny and i'll i'll say george i totally agree with you i'm not into um nick cage as a you know a guy in an asylum i thought his performance in this was really grounded and it was crazy in the right way mm-hmm. which i'll say foreshadowing i didn't think that about hereditary's performances mm. but i thought his was crazy in the right way and it reminded me that nick cage can really act Guy's got an oscar
2: Yes, and there are films when we do so. We go back to a movie adaptation, and well, one or yeah. Joe. Remember Joe? Oh, Joe that nobody saw. I mean, yeah. yes, you get those movies like mm-hmm. yes, he really can. Yeah. And uh, but and, uh, neither of
1: those adaptation and Joe. That's 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 when he's just acting. That's when he's not you know right. relying on on being nuts. But even mm-hmm. the,
2: the unhinged uh, Nick. I appreciate in port of call, New Orleans. Yeah, I mean, he I was just batshit. Yeah, but it worked. So I, I don't really want to poo-poo it. You know, don't get out the darts too much. But <laughs> but just I guess maybe not to the level that a lot of people mm-hmm. do. But I certainly appreciate uh, appreciate him in a, in a role like this. Mom and Dad is. I guess it was would have been number six for us, right? Probably. Yeah, the truth
1: is it was my number five because I forgot about the ritual. And then I saw Jason's <laughs> list. I'm like, oh, god, yes, I need to squeeze good, that though, in But that's good, though, because there. we were able to talk about <laughs> it because it's on his. So,
2: so that's number four. So that takes us up to number three on our list. And it's a reminder, I always tell myself this, never take your mistress on an annual guy's getaway, especially one devoted to hunting, a violent lesson for three wealthy married men. Revenge. <laughs> This will be interesting to talk about because we obviously liked it. Jason didn't care for it, but I loved it strictly from a visual storytelling point of view. Because you take it at its at its base, and it's it's a pretty standard rape revenge movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they don't do anything new with the script. Heck, there's so much of it that doesn't have any dialogue at all. No, uh, I think I think the main character, the woman, doesn't talk for the last half an hour of it. But I thought visually it was just great.
1: I agree with you, and it, and it's it's interesting. I didn't really expect to like it because the rape revenge thriller is among my least favorite of all of them ever. And part of it is because so often it is written and directed by men, and it's mainly exploitation. And so the actual sort of comeuppance is almost an afterthought. It's 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 mainly exploitation, which which makes it feel like a second violation to me. And it's funny the way this movie is filmed. Uh, Coralie Fargé. Directed. I had no idea if I pronounced her last name correctly. Um, I took Spanish. so. <laughs> <laughs> but she does not shy away from objectifying the female lead. Uh, and it's almost alarming early on how over the top she is oh, it, about it's it. It's
2: pretty much Lolita in, yeah. the, in the opening... Shot yes, or two, yeah. It is.
1: But then the more, as you say, the more you look at the way she's telling the story visually, the more you realize that she's she's commenting on it because uh, in, in, in as many times as this the camera circles this woman's body while she's still sort of fit and gorgeous, it does the same thing later on when she's filthy and covered in blood and, and a lot of blood, a lot of blood, not all of it her own. <laughs> um, and and it, so it's just I'm not sure it always works. The comment that she seems to be making on on the way that women are objectified in films like this, but it works pretty well and then there's this whole glorious circle circular fight scene bloody and slippery and just running <sighs> in circles at the end that I I just I just couldn't look away from I was just amazed by um and uh, yeah I thought it was I thought it was pretty great actually Yeah
2: and I like the th- the theme through it you've got th- there's some religious imagery to it there's themes of rebirth of course the phoenix you know I'm not going to say it's a tattoo, it's a brand uh, <laughs> on her stomach. Um, now that requ- requires some suspension of disbelief, yeah. of course, but uh, I think for me it worked.
1: There's a lot about consumption, there's a lot about entitlement. She's saying a lot, but uh, as you say, it's, it's mainly she's saying it visually. Mm-hmm. For me, upside
0: was, I thought visually it was interesting and I appreciated the, <clears throat> the start of the commentary. So it was clear. I, it was pretty clear to me early on what was happening in that first reel, which is totally total sexual objectification mm-hmm. of the lead, as you guys mentioned. I think um, the movie didn't work for me. I don't, it did just didn't add up. I, I, the motivations. It was a little tongue in cheek throughout, which should have been funny but wasn't. It's hard for me to put my finger on. Although I can tell you, and I don't think this is a spoiler because I, I think you see it in the trailer. She falls off a cliff onto a tree right. and. <laughs> And how she escapes being speared on this tree is she sets the tree on fire, and it just didn't make any fucking sense <laughs> at all. It wasn't. It wasn't even like it was an in-universe logic. I mean, it was just dumb.
2: Yeah, and, I, I can see that being a sticking point, but I, I think maybe for me it worked thematically because the way she gets she sets a thing on fire so then you have more of the the phoenix rising from the ashes type of theme going on there uh, i can see where that would be a point where if, if you don't go along with that then that's a breaker that's a deal breaker right there how she does get out of it because and then she's you know and she's impaled there it's almost you know, christ-like, christ-like mm-hmm. you know that whole thing going on but i i, I can understand that
0: yeah and I, listen i'm not um nitpicking at the at the plot logic sense my i think my overall criticism of the movie is she was so intent on talking about themes and packing in a whole bunch of commentary that maybe it didn't she wasn't able to deliver the movie all the way
2: mm. i think that's what happened okay so that was my take on it yeah yeah fair enough and that is uh revenge our number three for half the year in 2018 in horror Uh, we got to skip number three on Jason's list because we'll be talking about that one here in just a little bit. So we'll move up to uh, number two on our list. In a post-apocalyptic world, a family is forced to live in silence while hiding from monsters with ultra-sensitive hearing. Shh. A quiet place. If they hear you, they want you. Who are we? If we can't protect them, we have to.
1: I think we should start with Jason. <laughs> Cuz he didn't like it. No. He no like. And you know it's funny. you're the only person I've ever heard of who didn't like this I movie. Think so. it. I know. It
0: is the weirdest thing and I'm not a contrarian. Like that that's not interesting to me to go like right. everybody oh, liked no, it no, so yeah. I, uh, that's never happened to me and I don't know what happened. I know that the critics adored it. It's I think it's a 95% positive reviews. And it on, made a ton
2: of money, didn't yeah. it? Yeah.
0: Made a ton of I mean a ton of oh, money. Oh yeah, yeah. 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 and uh the audiences loved it they mm-hmm. did people were going they back did. i don't know i don't know how to account for it, you guys it just did not work for me it Interesting. felt unmotivated you guys hear me talk about motivation a lot it felt unmotivated at the character level the whole way through and that should have been the easiest part huh. the easiest part is this high concept of you have to be quiet or you get eaten right <laughs> right and then i and and then I really am going to come across as like plot hole nitpicky, but and I'm not. That just tells you how um, disconnected from the movie I was. There were a whole bunch of moments. That's not fair. Probably five or six moments in the movie that just don't add up if you go back and look at them. And that never bothers me, except I just was never engaged in it. I and I, I had a particular problem with the sacrifice at the end. I don't know mm. whether we should say what it was, but there's a sacrifice, and it just fell totally flat for me, and I, I, I just wow. was not connected. I know it's it's really wild. I'm super happy for John Krasinski, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, and for his real life wife, and for horror that people got something that they love so much. It just didn't work for me.
2: Yeah, this one seemed to me like just a of all the ones we talked about that have a disconnect between critics and, and quote unquote, normal audiences. This one was just a straight up crowd pleaser. I think Mm -hmm. for everybody just went in, gave people what they wanted, gave the big payoff at the end. You got monsters, you got tension, you know, slowly ratcheted up. And, and the premise of just having to be quiet was genius. Because when we saw it, you know, talk about a theater that the, you could almost feel the audience going, <laughs> you know, we got to be quiet, you know. I thought it was uh, Krasinski as a director just handled it. I thought pretty, pretty darn well.
1: And one of the things I liked about it is is that uh, you know every moment, right when you're sort of asking yourself, "Well, why is this?" Oh, there they go. They got it. All right. You know, it's like uh, yes. the It's like the the logic of trying to raise a family with no sound at all, and and how you go about that. I think that world was very realistically already lived in.
2: Yeah. Um, And... It kind of anticipated questions you were going to be asking because
1: the whole time even from the time you see the trailer you're like she's pregnant no she's not (laughs) no way but you can see how they're building toward how they're going to take care of it how they're going to you know Mm -hmm. make this all work out Mm -hmm. and it and then and of course one of the reasons that they they've survived as long as they have is because they already know sign language because they already have a child who's deaf yeah so i mean they do make i i mean i thought the the logic inside the film was was great and of course emily blunt is always amazing she is you can hang any movie on her and, um, and she does a, a great job, I think, with this movie. I think the young performers were really good. Um, and I think when they finally showed the monster, it was like you said, it comes at night. I mean, you actually got one. You, you got, got a monster. Yeah. And what was this like? Just a giant ear. It
2: looked like <laughs> I mean, like, I kept thinking, like, I don't
1: even think it's eating people. I think it's just pissed off and tearing them <laughs> apart so they stop making noise. And
2: um, I also thought, too, it worked as sort of a modern day, a, a, a parable for trying to be a parent in an increasingly terrifying world. Yeah. You know, the world we live in today, it just for me it worked on that on a t- type of a, a parable uh level. But yeah, I thought it was uh was really effective. Two of the three of us here agree. <laughs> 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 no, that's okay. You know, I've certainly been there. You know, movies that just if they don't work for you, you know, they they don't work for you. But that that one um especially was kind of surprising because like you say, you almost hear universal Acclaim. It really for was. It. Yeah. Uh, so uh, so that is a quiet place. We certainly liked it at number two. And uh, I guess we'll go, we've already talked about Jason's number two, which was uh, The Ritual, uh, which we talked about a little bit earlier. So should we talk about his let's number one first? Yeah, yeah, yeah because this one is is interesting because we enjoyed it. I think, well, we'll go ahead. You say what it is.
0: Yeah. So at number one on my list is The Endless. <laughs> I want to go back. That place is not what you think it is. G lied
1: to you. We're couldn't be happier.
0: I saw some things last night. There's something out here, isn't there? Happier. Yeah, there is.
1: Happier. Happier.
2: Happier. 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 Ooh. Who's next?
0: This is Aaron Moorhead and Justin Benson, mm-hmm. who did "Spring" a couple years ago mm-hmm. and did "Resolution." Yeah, a couple years I really before enjoyed that. that. Yeah. So, yeah. resolution was one of my favorite movies of that year. Yeah, me too. I was I was really really turned on by it, and I also have that sort of funny feeling where not a whole bunch of people got to see it. No so I, yeah, I, I think you know, you're right. Yeah, this is a movie about two guys who grew up in a cult who that's introduced to us as a UFO death cult who got away and then are living such abject lives such miserable lives that they decide to go back mm-hmm. and they're, they're brothers and one brother drags the other back. And, and they're
2: played by the directors. And they're played yeah.
0: by Justin mm-hmm. and Aaron. Uh, Justin writes and they both direct. And I have to tell you at first I was like holding my forehead when I saw, I didn't realize they were the leads. Mm-hmm. I had I had managed to stay away from everything about this movie.
1: Oh. But they both have small parts in the other two films but small parts.
0: Right, exactly. And so I don't know, sh- do we want to talk about the connection? I mean, I...
2: Yeah, I mean, there is, if you've seen, like you said, a lot of people have not seen Resolution, but it works its way into this movie, which I love that, that they made a reference to it. Um, I just didn't, I didn't, I don't think I liked it as much as you did. I didn't like it. I think for us, we didn't really consider it a horror movie. Right. I think.
1: Right, and and, because we toyed around, we toyed with putting it on the list... This and also Annihilation, which we thought was mm. magnificent. Loved Annihilation, but, but again, didn't. For, for, for me, both of those films are sci-fi. They're both sci-fi films. Although I did like The Endless better than you did. I thought A the two. Bit. I thought their performances were were pretty good, uh, and and I thought the supporting performances were, were good. And I and and the as it is with their other films, it's really the writing and the way that they mix and mingle different genres mm-hmm. together uh, in a way that works really, really well. And also, I think the thing that caused the most tension for me in this movie is 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 that sort of idea that, like, I often dream that I am back in my hometown and literally cannot get out of it. Like, I'm just <laughs> running or walking and I can't figure out how to leave town. That's That's what this entire movie felt like for me. You know, I felt like the tension was authentic to a, a certain kind of nightmare that a lot of people have when you grew up in a death cult or Tiffin, Ohio, either one.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, I,
0: here's what I know. I know that there will be other people who won't, for whom it won't be that satisfying, and I know exactly why it was so satisfying for me. It's two reasons. One was this surprise that it takes place in the resolution universe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I just went like, I'm doing, for people who can't see me, like my mind is blowing, yep. uh, hand, hand gesture. That was one half of it. I just found that profoundly satisfying because I love that movie so much and it was so cool to revisit it. And then the other half is, I think these guys were writing about their creative process. That's how it showed up to me. Sure, okay. it was yeah. two people. Yeah. Now, I, I partner very intimately with Randall Greenland, who's mm-hmm. my writing partner, and navigating that, I mean, you guys know, you have creative endeavors together. Navigating, being a, a pair, working on creative is really tough. Mm-hmm. And I felt like that's they were directly addressing that. Yeah, really it
1: yeah, because there's something very sibling about about having that kind of a, a creative relationship, and so that's just how they channeled it in this story. Is that they are siblings, each of them making compromises they don't want to make because they feel like it benefits the other, and then dealing with the bitterness and also just like the resigned kind of love that you just sort of are, are willing to give things up because the other person is is that important to yeah, you? Yeah,
0: exactly. I mean, Justin keeps saying, "Let me." No, Aaron, Aaron keeps saying, "Let me drive the car. Let yeah. me drive the car." Yeah. yeah, right. I mean, Justin writes the scripts. Mm-hmm. It's obvious what they're talking <laughs> about. Let me drive the car, and in the end, he, you know, he does. And I just found that very satisfying and, and emotionally moving.
2: So, should we? Do we recommend that people should see Resolution first?
0: Yeah. Well, you should see Resolution no matter what. Yeah, you, you should. should. But I mean, such if, a good movie. If you were
2: going to just say like today, you're hearing this, you want to go out and we see the the endless
1: think that you I don't think you need to see it first I think it's I think it the would, Endless it, is a lot more satisfying if you've seen Resolution yes. and I think Resolution is a better movie
2: I agree on on both those counts and yeah because there is that And you
1: should see Spring also it has nothing to do with these two it's just great
2: <laughs> but yeah because when that when that the moment that you realize it is part of the same universe that I'd hate to lose that satisfaction yeah. if you haven't seen it first yeah. so I think I would recommend if you can yeah. to and see it's not, resolution it's funny first. because
1: it's like it's not a gimmicky connection it really truly is oh, right. you're like oh that woman oh god that poor woman you know you just you know the way that it mingles the two storylines is brilliant it yeah. really was and
2: the guy yeah. from resolution who I thought was so funny oh yeah you know the well I don't want to give it away but the <laughs> guy yeah, yeah they
0: are their characters
1: from mm-hmm. resolution mm-hmm. which yeah. was just
0: who it was a total throw. seemed like a throwaway in resolution. Right. Yeah. It was great.
2: So uh, The Endless is Jason's number one. So before we get to uh, our number one, which is going to be a lot of conversation, let's talk about Nightmares Film Festival. Do it. Jason's uh, the brainchild, the, the, the genius behind it. I said the mad genius, I guess. Just getting more successful every every year. Uh, and um, we're looking forward to it. In October, the specific dates are?
0: It's October 18th through the 21st. Be back at Gateway Film Center. Um Big appeal there is theater environment is where festivals ought to happen. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the presentation is just excellent. Mm-hmm. Thanks to Rachel, Ash, and team. It
2: is e- everything about it. It's just it's it's gained such notoriety. I think in such a short time mm-hmm. uh, for the for e- every little aspect of it, um, including the, the the production elements you mentioned, the, the quality of the movies, the way it's presented, the atmosphere that the Gateway presents. Everything about it is just. A can't miss. I I feel like sometimes we're like overdoing it and how much we sell it. But I'm telling you, if you're a horror fan, you do not want to miss it.
1: And if you're a horror filmmaker, it's. I think it's amazing to me the sort of the the atmosphere of collaboration that it creates there. You really feel like you are part of a community as a filmmaker yep. when when you go there. And I think that it it seems to me that that the festival goes out of its way to make that possible.
0: Well, that was a big thing, you know. When Chris and I started it, we were really determined to lift up. The horror community Mm -hmm. and a big part of the way that you do that through a festival is you educate filmmakers at the festival and you connect them so that they work together Mm -hmm. and so that's a filmmakers um, should measure festivals with this health indicator are people coming out of festivals and working together that hadn't worked before right and um and we have that all the time george you're not overdoing it It (laughs) it is by design a very an elevated experience in terms of the program It has been voted the number one overall genre and horror festival on Film Freeway, which is a a, is a film submission platform Mm -hmm. of more than 6,000 festivals. Wow. Yeah. And it's it's number two overall of any of any festival type. Uh, And if you read the reviews, that's what makes me proudest. You read the reviews from the filmmakers who've attended and Mm -hmm. it was valuable. And as a filmmaker, that was my goal. Right. You know, I've been to plenty of festivals that were not valuable or were valuable in the things they taught me not to do. Um, (laughs) And so this has been really satisfying, and part of the way I give back, and I know the way Chris gives back to the horror community.
2: Yeah, well, it's, it, again, it's tremendous. Uh, any information that you need, it's on. It's all over social, right? It's got websites, it's got uh, Facebook, it's got Twitter. Uh, Nightmares, Nightmares Film, Film, Film Festival. Festival. Hashtag Better Horror. That's right. We would love to see you here in Columbus uh, come October for the third Nightmares Film Festival. All right, moving up to uh, number one. This is the uh, one that's going to get the most conversation, as it has been pretty much since it came out. Mm-hmm. Probably needs no introduction, but I'll give it one. After the family matriarch passes away, a grieving family is haunted by tragic and disturbing occurrences and begin to unravel dark secrets hereditary.
0: My mother was a very secretive and private woman. She isn't gone. She had private rituals, private friends. <laughs> Mom? I don't like this. Dad, I don't like this. What's happening?
1: Peter! Don't you ever raise your voice to me. I am your mother. Raise your mom. mom, what's happening? Make it, stop. Make it stop! I think that the three of us represent a continuum here. I I love this movie. I think you like it a little bit better than I do. Mm. And I think you like it a little bit less than I do. Okay. This is where I think we fall. I do love this movie though. Visually it is from the opening sequence uh, stunning with the way that they use these miniatures and then the house itself is just spectacular. And then I think the performance is a great time. Tony Collette, always great. I think Gabriel Byrne is great in a role that's easy to overlook but is for me the linchpin of the entire family. And there are several scenes where you're just like, oh my god that Mm -hmm. totally happened just now. Yeah,
2: Um, Yeah.
1: the, The movie to me, I think, is the strongest if you can read it equally well, if it's a straight horror movie or if it's really uh, the story of a fractured psyche and you're not really seeing what you think you're seeing. I don't know that those two options are equally strong. Although, I want them to be.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> but yeah, I do. I love I loved this movie.
2: Yeah, I do too. And I, I agree with you about how it's working on those different levels. I also like like to think of it as working on just a metaphorical level of, quote-unquote, demons that we pass down yeah. through our families. that sure. doesn't have to be the resolution, you know, the satanic resolution that the movie actually shows you. Mm-hmm. There could be more going on at work here. I, I, I think it worked for me that way as well. I agree with you about the performances. I've been a little, I'm not puzzled, but I mean, I've seen some people kind of uh, say their their view of Tony Collette really overacting, really overacting to the nth degree, which I'm... Really surprised me. I didn't think so at all. I thought she was. I mean, I'm hoping she gets remembered come award season. I thought she was tremendous. Yeah. But yeah, uh, visually, um, I thought the pace. Well, because I've also read some some um, criticism of the slow pace of the movie. For me, it was like a slow dread. Yes, it was slow, but it's a creeping dread that just kind of sat in your bones. You know, that you knew something was coming. And I never never thought it was, you know, too slow where things weren't happening. But um, I'm I'm on board with uh everything that you've said about it mm-hmm. and you know you mentioned earlier about um thinking of, you you were surprised at the instant classic type of you know I'm almost there with it mm-hmm. I, I think it's darn darn good. Yeah. I think Tony Collette acted overacted to the nth degree. Okay. So
0: you got one of them in the studio. <laughs> Here's the thing on Tony Collette um that is her and you know what you're getting if you cast her and um I'm cool with it. I think her best role was Six Sense where <laughs> she where she didn't have to flip out. Um, Not so much. I like her. I I find her exhausting, you know? And in this case, maybe that worked. You guys, I have such complex feelings about Hereditary. (laughs) And I think it stems from when a movie reaches greatness in some parts, you see in greater relief the places where maybe it didn't. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what my experience with this movie was. There are Mm -hmm. a couple moments that are instant classic moments. There's a moment at the midpoint of the movie... Which I submit to you is where the movie should have started. Ah, that I will never forget, and anybody who sees the movie will never forget nope. it. Yeah, and, and it is it, that will go down in the annals of horror history. I, I agree. Um, I think that both Tony Collette and uh, the guy who played the son, who I can't, I can't Alex remember his name. Yeah, thanks. Mm-hmm. He, he's got a brother, right?
1: Yes, he, have they, a... he does. Has a brother who looks a lot like him, but he was really good in uh, My Friend Dahmer. Yeah, yeah. Alex Wolf. That's was, right. Yeah, yeah was. that's I yeah.
0: Could, I thought both of them were trapped in this. So if you imagine the the range of human emotion, I thought they were trapped in this band, this narrow band way up toward the top near hysteria for the whole movie. Mm-hmm. And I think that's sort of like if you play too much music in a movie, like eventually it doesn't connect. I'd just be a jerk and say, like, Gabriel Byrne is like 150 years old. <laughs> and, I, and he just he, I was like, I kept looking at him thinking grandfather. Mm-hmm. And I, I couldn't. It, he, it was hard for me to connect. He and uh, Tony. I think that the story is ballsy as hell. And I love that. Um, I also think, you guys, it's supposed to be funnier than people realize.
2: That was interesting. I know. I saw you post that. And I there were certainly moments in it when I laughed out loud. I mean, when he texted him to come to the party and bring your dick. <laughs> uh, I laughed out loud. You
1: guys can't see this, but he waited until Jason took <laughs> no, a drink. I was like, don't spray the equipment
2: spit take that's right that made me laugh out loud so there were were moments that did make me laugh but are you talking about throughout the whole thing as a
0: i I really am george i I think it is more blackly comic i think the over the topness that created a couple of those great moments is is meant to be maybe a little funny Hmm. and i've heard some people say there was some laughter in the theater not i mean the joke the jokes the couple of explicit jokes are funny yeah but um I my and part of the reason that I think that is I was I promised you guys I'd mention this um, so this this is Ari Aster mm-hmm. whom, this is his feature film yeah, they do, they yeah. do but he did a um, a short while he was at AFI which I assume was his thesis short called uh, the strange thing about the Johnsons and the strange thing about the Johnsons is a totally pitch black satire uh, satire and here's the premise okay it's a family an uh, uh, African American family. And the son has been sexually molesting the father since the son was 12. So they, it, they completely invert mm-hmm. the two roles in a sexually predatory relationship. And so the wow. father is the one who's been abused mm-hmm. and tries to escape and can't and can't tell the story. And um, that clearly also, you know, satire is right next to humor. And um, that's why it gives me the impression maybe hereditary is supposed okay. to be. A
2: well, whole How whole did you feel about the, uh, the, the resolution? Uh, At the end, I know some people didn't want it to be so explicit.
0: Yeah, I thought that's what I mean about Ballsy. There's a lot of pressure, counter-pressure, against telling something that explicitly. And I just thought it was really brave. Um, I thought it was cool. It it was fun. It led to an unbelievable set of visuals. And and that's the thing you can't ignore about this movie.
1: Oh, my God. It's glorious visually. And the sound is also great. There are so many times like that, like later in the movie when you hear that... You're like, oh my god! Yes, you know, and and it was yeah. so great to just introduce that early on, just out of nowhere, and it seemed it's very fitting with that character that it was. It's just a tick that she would have, and then later on, you're like, wait, wait, what did I just hear? <laughs> or when you see like a flash of light somewhere. I mean, our, our friend Cat, it still bothers her when she went down to the basement to do laundry the other day, and you know, like a car went past or whatever, and she got that light that went up the hallway. She was like, I gotta go, Demon Prince, <laughs> Demon Prince. But- I also feel like I feel like this movie from sort of the people that we went with and the people I've talked to afterwards, this movie is tremendously unsettling for people who have mother issues. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, like, f- it seems to be almost toxic to people who have, like, real issues with their moms, mm-hmm. which I feel like that's a fascinating, um, you know, vein to be able to tap as a filmmaker. Right, and
2: that's what I was talking mm-hmm. about earlier, just talk, get, getting past the the resolution to, to the theme of, yeah, what we pass down to... To our parent, to our children, mm-hmm. without maybe realizing it, or maybe realizing, it. yeah, just that whole damaged, mm-hmm. damaged goods type of theme. Yeah, I think it, it definitely works um, on that level as well. So, and and a, and a lot of different different levels. Mm-hmm. So, uh, just like the levels of appreciation that we have for the movie <laughs> right here in this room. But that's good, though. I mean, uh, I think it's much more interesting a conversation when you have those different points of view you know none of us outright hated it and i know there are people out there that did mm-hmm. um but uh but but it's definitely one that uh, is getting a lot of talk now how is it doing at the box office well for it
0: yeah well, well, well for it well not not
2: a quiet place money but
0: not a quiet place money um i think it opened to 12 and a half million which i think it's a five million dollar movie right, right. if right. i'm remembering right mm-hmm. so it will be very profitable and um
1: and so maybe that's good too. maybe a24's most profitable film Ooh, is that right? I think so because uh, because The Witch obviously did really well for Mm -hmm. them, but again, it was pretty early in their sort of existence as a company, so it did well compared to what? Compared to nothing, right? Um, um, Ex Machina. Well, that was another one. That was one of their first movies. Yeah, yeah. Um, Of course, that's gone on to have a bigger life after theatrical release, so that that might overshadow it by that point. But
2: we'll we'll see. They got some good stuff. It's no
0: Blumhouse win,
2: right? (laughs) Like, uh, yeah, Get Out.
0: Yeah, get out and makes two hundred million dollars. <laughs> uh, right now, it's done twenty six million. Okay, so that's a very respectable, respectable yeah. turnout. For
2: oh my god,
1: yeah, low budget horror movie. Yep. Okay. Yep.
2: And that sits t- sits at the top of our list for half of the year. And uh, what do you think? Let us know if you're one of the people that hated Hereditary. Hey, that's all right.
1: You can make your case. If you're mad that Strangers 2, Pray By Night, didn't make the oh, list. Oh,
2: <laughs> we know one person who is. Yeah, we do. Uh, our friend Mike. That's right. Should
1: we mention that really quickly? Because that was a
2: high-profile um, horror movie that got released. It's not that we hated it. We didn't hate it. We just thought it got kind of mired in, you know, 80s slasher-type tropes. Now, if that's your thing, then you're going to love it. But we thought it was a, a, a step down from the first Strangers.
1: Huge step down from the first thing. It does have a couple of, of interesting um, set pieces, some... some cool-looking stuff basically just at the pool. Really, just yeah, at the pool. Agreed. There was this cool scene at the pool. But other than that, I mean, there are certain scenes that are lifted so directly from early 80s, late 70s horror movies that you just think, why are we on this bridge right now? <laughs> why are you here? Uh, so the, I think it, it moved from being, like, you know, homage to being rip-off. But also, it was just so counter to the, the just sort of Glorious dread that the original created because the original is really throwback to 70s horror movies and to be fair That's more my bag um, uh, You know the independent American horror films of the 70s I find a lot more interesting than your traditional slashers of the 80s So I think that for me that change in tone just didn't work. Is, is Tamra home?
0: <laughs> yeah, I agree it, it I thought it was um, Weak direction mm-hmm. to be honest. I, I, I thought that's where it fell down now, here's the thing. That's another $5 million movie, and it's made $115 right. million. Whoa.
2: Okay, So then.
0: nobody's crying about
2: that. Nobody is. <laughs> no. But, uh,
0: yeah, I was disappointed because I, uh, The Strangers is such a iconic movie for me. Yeah. You know? Agreed. To come out of a time when maybe we didn't get a whole bunch of those. Right. And yep. um, I, I, w- I was sad to see it taken
2: down a little bit. Mm-hmm. Agreed. So, uh, so let us know what you thought about the movie so far this year. Uh, easiest way to get a hold of us on Twitter. That's Mad Wolf, M-A-D-D-W-O-L-F. On Facebook and Instagram we're Mad Wolf Columbus and uh, we talked about Nightmares Film Festival on social but Jason where can they can they get you or would you rather just go through nightmares?
0: Oh well, you can always uh, friend me on Facebook. I'm active on there, including for the, uh, for the festival, and I'm always happy to talk about movies. I do it uh, all the time in all my spare time, which is like <laughs> 3 o'clock in the morning.
2: <laughs> and again, we would love to see you this October at Nightmares Film Festival 3. It's going to be fantastic. Uh, just judging from the submissions that we have seen right. so far, the yeah. quality already. Has, has gone up. Yeah. I mean, we
0: we have some really exciting world premieres that I can't talk about that we have booked. But when you see them announced, mm-hmm. it's really going to blow your hair back. We, I'm so thrilled about the uh, year three program, and and you know the previous years
2: programs have been so good.
1: Yeah. Like,
0: we got
2: some really exciting movies. Good stuff. Good stuff. All right, and we mentioned the next Fright Club live for July
1: Wednesday, July eleventh. We're going to show Peeping Tom, and we haven't yet settled the uh, the podcast topic. It's going to be to whoas. It's probably going to it's whoas. Gonna be to whoas. going to whoas?
2: But if you want, if you want to get another vote in for voyeurism, you can do that too. Uh, so we look forward to uh, hearing from you and uh, checking in next time, and we'll see what. The rest of the second half of the year brings us some horror movies, and we'll get back together at the end and uh, do a yearly countdown for 2018. Hard to believe it's half over. That is craziness. All right. So until next time, uh, she's Hope Madden. He's George Wolf, and he's Jason Tostevin. This is the Fright Club podcast. Stay frightful, my friends. Yes.
1: Yeah. The best